The following podcast contains mature language and adult discussion. This week on Kayfabe, stories you're not supposed to hear. I could look back and say, here's where I went wrong, here's where I went south, but it all we come back to the same person and I want to like sit here this whole interview about me hammering Paul. Turned again. You're back. I'm back. I'm here with you. To share some time with you. You know, it's funny. I when I wrote the book, The Business of Kayfabe, which was the story of Kayfabe commentaries in a way, but there were it was mostly focused on the business lessons learned while running the company. And one of the examples I put in the book, one of my aha moments in business, I didn't have a business background. I was, I was an arts major. That degree, wiped my ass with that one. Media arts, film, television, and radio. Film doesn't exist anymore. Television looks like film now. And radio, forget about it. It's a dying industry. I'm, I'm sitting here talking to a wall, recording it to go out and... I don't know, three three weeks? Where the hell's the excitement there? It's all dead. The The degree now would probably be called, you know, uh, social media arts. But no business background, learned it all kind of on the fly, running the company, and what a business to, to enter into, wrestling, the, the carnival world. A professional wrestling, of all things to, all things to choose. But prior to that, long before that, I I sent. Listen, I, I was a Kiss fan as a kid, right? So what that translates into is that you you grow up to be a grown up closet Kiss fan, right? So you're Kiss fan as a kid, and then a closet Kiss fan. Then it kind of became cool again, I guess, when they. Did the reunion tour and put the makeup on, and then you can put on Kiss T-shirts and be quasi cool. I think that's probably over now, though. You get you got to put that shit back in the drawer. But I sent right before they were going on one of their tours. I don't remember which one it was. They had already gotten back together. They put the makeup on. They were they were heading out to the road. They were going to do a summer tour. So I put together what I thought would be a brilliant idea: Kiss cream. It's not just ice cream. It's Kiss cream. And I put together, I, I spent time, I was working in Manhattan at the time um, in an investment bank. And uh, I wasn't a banker, though, so please don't don't think less of me. But I went, I put the labels together, and I put the labels together, and I, I made pictures of little sample cups of kiss cream. So when I sent it to Gene, he would see that it was an irresistible idea, the kiss cream. So, I had to come up with some cool flavors. We had Strutterfinger, King of the Nighttime Swirl, Rocky Road All Night. I thought it was a home run, man. So, I put this all together, right? And I, I, I FedExed it out to whatever address I found for him, his, comp- his production company. Certain, I, certain that I would have a phone call. You know, in in due time, there would be a phone call from Gene about going into production for the Kiss Cream before the big summer tour. Summer tour, selling the Kiss Cream at the sheds. So I send it out and I hear nothing back. You know, somebody's probably gotten in the way. One of, one of the flunkies that he has read his mail, Tommy Thayer or 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 somebody, has gotten their hands on this and and is and is holding it up. So I see Gene is coming to Manhattan for his book tour. One of his books, um, he's going to be signing, and it's actually it was on Wall Street. It was just a few blocks from where uh, where where I was located, where I was working. 
So uh, it was uh, it, it was on Broadway actually. It was at the old Borders on Broadway downtown. It, uh, Borders and Wall. So and I was on Wall. So I I go up now. I'm all prepared now for to. to I know I'm not going to have a lot of time. But he no doubt remembers the kiss cream. And, and um, he probably got too busy. Um, didn't get back to me. Or maybe maybe the flunky got in the way. And, and, you know, he never saw it. So, you know, we would we would take care of that right now. We, I would have my time with Gene. So I head up there and Gene's there. And I get my turn to, to go up and... And I said, Gene, what, uh, you know, I sent you a proposal for, for kiss cream. You know those moments where you, you, you just feel like an abject douchebag? There's, there's, there's nothing about what you're doing that's, that in and of itself is terrible. But I guess it's just when you stop someone cold in their tracks. And, and he, did, he looked down at me like, like, I, like I, I just tickled his balls. And he... he he says, no, I, I don't, uh, don't uh, recall. I said, well, all right. So I said, Gene, kiss cream. Kiss cream for the summer tour. Ice cream based on songs. Told him Strutterfring, a king of the nighttime swirl. He laughs, but he said something valuable. He said, uh, now, this is Gene, now this is Gene in front of me, right? So I'm not a starstruck kind of guy. I've, I've, I, I, to that point, I'd, I'd been in movies since I was you know 20 and worked with people considered stars and so but listen gene i i looked at gene when i was a kid the tongue the blood and everything he did for the the marketing of the company so there was a bit of a moment i don't have big moments. there's a bit of a moment i had moments when i was a kid i had moments i met sd jones in the parking lot okay i was just talking about this today Met S.D. Jones in the parking lot at the Meadowlands. I used to stand at the Meadowlands in all weather with with a, a pen and pad to get autographs as as the wrestlers would, would come in. So uh, S.D. Jones, who I, I proudly asked how he got the big hole in his back, to which he said it was uh, he had an operation when he was a child. Um. So I, I, I saw the stars I'd watched on TV, and it was a thrill. So, you know what? Fast forward. There I am, 30, 30 years old, 33, 5 years old, whatever the hell I was, and I'm, I'm talking to Gene, and I'm telling him about Kiss Cream. I'm not, I'm not telling him I love his music. I'm, I'm, I'm not telling him that you know Black Diamond changed my life like the other tools online were doing. I was special. I had a pitch for Gene Simmons. And I gave him the whole thing, and he looks down and he goes, well, that's uh, that's great, but that's an idea. I said, yes, and a great one. He said, yeah, but it's just an idea. Like, Do you, do you own an ice cream company? I said, no, I, I don't own an ice cream company. He goes, well, those are just ideas. It's great. I want to build the biggest building in the world. Well, great. Well, can you build it? And... It was so elementary, but I stood there and I said, every one of these morons behind me probably has a great idea. And I'm one of these morons. I thought I was so much better. I'm one of these morons. It's an idea. Can I do anything about it? I want to build the KISS building, the biggest building in the world. He's right. What the hell am I going to do? It's an idea. I was speechless. There was nothing I could say to that. I was like I, I was like a young acolyte who had just been schooled, like an apprentice to a tailor, some some Italian tailor in the cliffs of Tuscany. Are there cliffs in Tuscany? I don't know. Who turns and says, What do you do? You wanna make a suit out of that? Yes a great idea you make a suit out of that silk. Boy, you can sew that silk. You can sew that silk, you make a suit. And you go, you know what? Maybe I can't thread this particular silk. It won't hold up. Great idea. I'm not going to do it. So I felt I had been schooled. I could do nothing but stand there and shake my head and go, oh, cool. Can I get a picture, Gene? Just like every slouch behind me. Just a picture. I have the picture still. No kiss cream.
You have no kiss cream. Because I just had an idea. It was just a friggin' idea. All right, it's Timeline, the history of ECW. Go year by year in wrestling's most violent federation. Eight editions, eight separate filmed editions, 16 or so hours of the history of ECW. This is history nobody else is going to tell you. WWE purports to tell you the history of this, the history of that. They're not going to tell you the things that are going to make shareholders nervous, lawsuits, allegations of sexual harassment. They're not going to talk about that stuff. But it all happened. No, they're not going to give you the history. We're going to give you the history. Timeline, the history of ECW. Starting with the first edition, covers 92 and 93. That was the inception of the company when it was Eastern Championship Wrestling under Todd Gordon. And he is the guest. Special double disc. Takes you right through both years. 1994, the next edition covered by Shane Douglas. The night he threw down the belt and changed it from Eastern to Extreme and and started a revolution. 95, covered by Sandman. 96, covered by Raven. 97, covered by Sabu. New Jack covers 1998. 1999, covered by RVD. And the year 2000, covered by Just Incredible. That's when when it all went up in smoke, folks. It went over to the WWE with their trade. They tried to handle a wild horse like ECW. But listen, get all those additions. Go to shootinterviews.com. Shootinterviews.com. Check them out. Timeline, the history of ECW. Can I sit on the floor like Sam again? Um, yeah, I wish you would actually, but the, the, we're only pulling audio for this, so the the won't work. If you couldn't tell by the uh, the um, COPD hacking going on in your uh, in your speakers, I'm with my old friend Todd Gordon here today. Todd finished a, a, a day of work. You looking you looking well? You look pretty well yourself. No, oh, thank you very much. I've never done this Skype thing before. Is the guy doing the interview always naked? Yeah, um, you know what, though? It, it's because I'm using this down-facing camera, and I I do have to fix that. But only from the waist down, I I, uh, I go in the nude. Uh, I, that's what it is. I think it's three legs. Absolutely. Todd, this is the 25th anniversary of ECW uh, Extreme Championship Wrestling. Uh, I'm hearing touted all over the place, and... Um, was this somewhere in your consciousness, in your sphere? Is there kind of a... Not until I saw it on the internet. Right. Honestly. Right. Oh, no, it's 25 years? God damn. So, so if the, this is the 25th anniversary, who, who are you buying the anniversary gift for? Who, Myself. Who's responsible? Okay. Nobody, nobody uh, that you share it with? I did it all alone. I'll meet Sandman. Yeah? Yeah. That's what you're going with? No. I mean, I could name 20 names. And then I'd leave out five that way, and I'd insult somebody. So rather than, who am I going to share with it? Yeah, but and there I'd are people more worthy than others, right? Yeah, but I'd share with the locker room in general. They're the ones who busted their ass night after night, left nothing out there. You know, left nothing in the back. Left it all out in the ring. WWE's probably going to do a bunch of shit, right, this year to try and... You know, very much after the fact, celebrate ECW and its legacy and appease its fans, quite honestly, and and, and address its its 25th anniversary. How much airtime are you going to get? Zero. Why? As as will all the Philadelphia and other people who are involved, other than Taz, Dreamer, the Dudleys, and Paul. But why, though? Because that was the New York click, and Paul works for them, and that's the way he works. That's his gimmick. You're not going to see Sammy. You're not going to see Shane Douglas. You're not going to see Joey Styles. You're not going to see any of the people who were there busting their ass from day one before Paul, Dudley's, Taz, Dreamer ever came along. Is this something you just accepted and you're comfortable with, or is is there a a bit of a something sticking in your craw? It's stuck in my craw at one point. At this point, honestly, I've moved on. I can't spend my whole life being you know like miserable because people aren't getting credit. It's forgotten credit along the way 
Honestly, if I did that, I'd just be so miserable all the time. I couldn't stand it. So I had to just like, I had to let it go, of course. But what? I let it go when they did their pay-per-view. When they tried to resurrect the product, which is abominable. Yeah. But you, when you think about it, though, is is it like, is it like an old girlfriend or an old marriage that you wish you, you had another shot at or you, you could have treated her differently or... Like, what's your perspective? Well, I, I could look back and say, here's where I went wrong. Here's where I went south. But it was all we come back to the same person. And I want to, like, sit here making this whole interview about me hammering Paul. Well, I wasn't even so much going there. I'm just saying from a personal perspective, is it, is there that regret that, like, fuck, man, it, I, I could have done it different. I don't know. I mean, like, when you look back. We could have done it different. We should have done it the way I had originally intended to do it. And I saw the delusions of grandeur as they were presented to me, and I just got sucked into that vortex thing. And, okay, wow, we were kind of the next national company. Kind of, we, we kind of the next one. Blah, 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 blah. Today, that show couldn't air anywhere. Right. What would it have become, you think? Uh, How far could you... It ceases to be what it is if you water it down, right? So. Well, that's, that's what the WWE did. Yeah. They watered it down. Thank you, baby. They watered it down, and... Uh, you saw the reaction to it by the audience. They shit all over it. And Vince got in his way for a while. They're hoping that no one ever yell ECW at ECW one of the shows again. Only to the fact that 25 years later, and this still, honestly, no, no bullshit, this amazes me. They still do that. Yeah. And 25 years later, they still will yell at ECW at the WWE show. Astounds me. Yeah. Makes you proud. Yeah. Makes me feel very, yeah, very proud. Not that you know, I'm getting people like, oh, that's you, isn't it? No, it's not that. Internally, yeah, I feel proud about that. You're... I mean, who else can say that? Right. Well, Paul. <laughs> but nobody's going to, nobody's yelling WCW or NWA at any other show 25 years later. Mid-South, Mid-South. <laughs> Imagine that shit. World-class championship. Oh, every, -class every time somebody slaps an arm bar on, I'm going to chant Memphis, Memphis. Um, you're a creative guy, so uh, are you itching to do anything like that again? When I say like that, I don't mean start a wrestling federation. No, I know what you're, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, I am I am a creative guy, and that's why I wanted to do this in the first place. I wanted to use that creativity to create something that I, in my image, that I thought could be something. And uh, at this point, that's part of my bucket list. So it's like, I'm good. I'm at peace. It's all good. I have no desire to have out there I just create something new. If that was the case, I'd go into advertising or do something else where I could be creative all the time. But so, but uh, you don't have that impetus to do that? No, not anymore. Age. Age will do a lot. Yeah. Really. It's the truth. Don't have the energy level anymore. That took a lot of energy to do that and run a business. I mean, a president of a charity and be running an important. I mean, I was doing this so much at one time. I don't even know how I did it. Did you ever cons but, did you ever consider not like leaving the family business for a while and doing? It was never an option because financially, business. it was never an option. It was never an option. Period. Because that business supported my parents, supported my children, and the wrestling business was so up in the air that you know it could have gone either way, and I couldn't take the kind of a risk. But did I you have siblings or anything that could have kind of manned no. the store from? No. Okay. I had two sisters. Uh, they were not driven to do any of the business at all. They're not wrestlers, right? No, they were not that way. One's a PhD in psychology and now a life coach for a right. big corporation. Things like that. It was not their valley way. No, I said they weren't wrestlers. I was just, I was just no, ma making clear that they were not athletes. Um, so, so you, you, ECW wraps up, right? Um, you, you, well, you get out of it before it wraps up, and there's that period right that that like hangover where it's still around and you're not involved is it painful to know that what you built is forget about whether it's being mismanaged or not but it's it's functioning without you it's like a child that you can't it visit i'll be at a completely different level honestly when i when i started this over the first couple of years we we're in business and everybody who's ever been through that locker room, and you've done enough interviews to know this, will tell you 
we were a damn family. And it was like a locker room like nobody else had ever been in. And that changed when I left. That's the honest to God truth. So so it didn't bother you that it was still out No, there. because I saw the handwriting on the wall. When I saw Vince and Turner or Bischoff, whatever, trying to lure guys who were making $300 a night by offering offering $3,000 a week just to be a job guy or not even use at all. I saw the handwriting on the wall. I mean, you can't compete with a billionaire, you know, when you're a thousandaire kind of thing. I saw what was going to happen. I saw the future years before it came. I knew the company would last. But and and you never had the the desire to go. Well, all right. Well, fuck these guys. I'm going to go start something. Like grab your your band of guys, um, that were loyal to you, and go across the street and open up shop. No, because that would have been disloyal to all the fans who were there for the ECW product from day one when we sucked. You know, we had no lighting. We had bad sound. And the yeah. Night. Those people were owed something, and it was not to have undo. But they were still driving themselves to be a part of. Right. Well, you're very balanced. You must have, you must go to therapy. Well, every Jew goes to therapy, right? <laughs> you, I actually have never been to therapy. To put to, to well, well, this it might have been a different story had you gone. Maybe this is the right path. Um, but but no, to put the fans ahead of, I think I would have had a bit of a savage, you know, very base um, need to get even. It wasn't that I was. So opposed to that whole WWE invasion when we showed up on Raw, that whole, it was everything against what we put ourselves out there to be. We are the anti-establishment. We are the establishment. We shot at them. We you know, we, we ripped on them because of what they were doing. So now to be part of that, even though it's quote-unquote an invasion, whoever knows is smart, you're working with them. And I was against that from day one, and I said it was completely against what we stood for. It was against what our fans rep- we represented to them. And from that point on, it was just, I didn't know he was getting paid by WWE at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I'd never do that as a connection, but I just thought, you know, even though they're giving us this rub, it wasn't worth it to me. Because it was against what we stood for. It's like saying, okay, we've told you we're this for all this time. But now we're going to this, we're going to take the rub, you know, because that helps us. The, the theme of the company originally was no we wouldn't take their help mm-hmm. i wouldn't want their help i don't want their i don't want their help i don't want to piss off self i don't want anybody's help you know i don't know how i would have done with handling the end of my tenure if i were you my tenure with that company that i started i mean we we did a great edition of timeline which covered 92 and 93 when it was eastern and just i mean wrestling in mike schmidt's pub and like just thinking back to this granular thing which very organically just kind of snowballed and gathered steam and became so important to so many people showed the mainstream business a thing or two at a time when they were fucking it up i don't know that i could have walked away without feeling like an absolute failure not because i failed to get the job done because you clearly did but for letting Heyman so burrow himself in my business in my baby that it was actually able to happen that way i that i let somebody in so deeply that i'm fucking walking away right now when I was in Mike Schmidt's pub trying to convince them to allow Sandman to wrestle because he'd been banned for hitting a barmaid over the head or something. Does it make sense? It does. And I, I totally trusted him in a way that I never should have. Look, he's the best at what he does. And when the wrestlers say to you, he can make you want to run through a wall, well, he can make me believe that he and I were the best friends in the whole world. Our families knew each other. Our parents got to know each other. I mean, we were a mesh, so I never, ever saw it come, number one. Did you go to Temple together, ever? Never. Okay. Uh, St. Joe's and LaSalle, the Villanova, but we never made it to Temple. Okay. But so, so yeah, you, but that's my point. You you let him you know in. selling motherfucker. So, what's that? You know selling motherfucker. Um, yeah, my show, my show. No, um, I, I don't want to lose the point that that you're you're exactly echoing my sentiments. That but let that, me explain something. Let I, me say one 
I bought the snake oil. I bought it. It wasn't like that. There was a metamorphosis that occurred. I don't believe at the beginning that was his intent. I believe that we were like brothers and partners for real and family for real. He's the one who got the delusions of grandeur saying, I can be Vince McMahon. And if I can't be him, I want to be with him. But what I want to say to you is when I, when I left, or even before I left, I could have very easily have said, I'm not going to sign over the name because he couldn't use the name without me. I could have said, I'm, I'm shutting it down. Find something, another, you make your new company, Paul Heyman Wrestling. Right. But I didn't do that because I would have been screwing over the whole locker room. And I had to put their needs and what they had given me of themselves ahead of my own. And that's the honest to God's truth. How many of those workers know that, do you think? A handful. Like, I'm, I'm sure if any of them came up to you on the street, they'd be like, hey, Todd, man, thanks so much. It's, you know, it's fun looking back and all that. But how many of them know that the degree of sacrifice? Very few. I know you're close with like Fonzie still and Sandman and and Scorpio. Right. My my inner circle know. I said, look, I can just easily shut this thing down like that, and now it's going to start from scratch. You may have all the pieces, but now to say, hey, now I'm uh, dynamite pro wrestling, it would have been completely different. You're very evolved. I, I think I would have shut it down. I I I I, 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 I felt that it was the wrong thing to do. I had too many other people's livelihoods at stake. Listen to that inner sanctum that you just mentioned. Listen to this fucking treehouse of, 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 of our gang. You, Scorpio, Fonzie, and Sandman. That is some crew. Why don't you guys do a podcast? <laughs> because Taz wouldn't like it. Yeah. You know, he called me one time. He, uh, he um, instant messaged me one time because they ran a, com- uh, a promo for one of our U-shoots where... Um, I, I don't even remember what somebody said something about about Taz. Like, you know, you shoot the questions are asked by the fans. So, you know, but he saw the promo for it and he <laughs> called me and he was, was, was like, are you a father? Do you understand what your children seeing this? I forget what the insult was. I wish you know, there's no punchline to this because I, I didn't know what it was. But it was, your brother it was something like him getting smacked by uh, RVD or something. Um, uh, pick a hand. Pick a hand. Yeah. Um Something I think back to ECW, so many things. Uh, let me just tell you from a fan's perspective. I don't know if I ever in the shows we did said this. What ECW did for for me, and I think I'm I'm not unlike a lot of fans that are in my age group. I'm a little younger than you, Todd. I th- I'm I'm 46. So oh, we're the same age then. Oh, we are. Okay, you just <laughs> no, you're just aging better than I. Um, yeah. the, it would take 20 years. The uh, thank God for CBD. Um, when I when ECW came out, I was it was what like ninety when I when it came to me on MSG Network ninety four let's say okay ninety five right, and so I'm twenty three and the product that I'm watching that WWE is offering is the garbage men and hockey and the goon and all that shit and so now for a half a second I could believe again because. Despite what's predetermined and what's not, there's no denying a guy just jumped off a fucking balcony and and onto somebody else and through three tables and I just saw that. So for a second, I got to believe. People talk about the violence and all this stuff, but the violence is what let us believe again. And so yeah. we were drawn in. I could buy into characters like Raven and he's stealing Sandman's son. And I could buy into all that because I knew what I was going to see when they met in the ring was a little bit real. So it really gave wrestling back to me. Um, I only attended one live event, but what it did in such Where? a... Um, this thing in Staten Island, the Sportsplex, I think it was called. Okay, the big bubble? Yeah, and, and in a great spot. I forget who the hell it was. You may remember. Two guys fought out into the crowd, into the hockey rink next door, and, and one bowled the other into the net like scored with the person threw him into the net then pinned him in the net it was unbelievable but anyway that type of shit made me um brought wrestling back to me and i think a lot of the guys that are in my age group so thank you for that but one of the other things 
that when I think back, and maybe this is from when I worked with the kayfabe commentaries, was there are a lot of sad stories surrounding ECW and a lot of the a lot of the folks who passed through and deaths and addiction and all that stuff. So there are some negative connotations that come to mind when I think of ECW. Um, of the wrestling deaths, which were you hardest hit by? Teddy and Johnny. Yeah. Quick, right away. Fast answer. I love those guys. They were like Sam and Scorpio and Fonzie. Did, did you see it coming a little, though? I, everybody knew it was coming with Johnny. Yeah. That was, that was a given. His, his tagline was, I'm not here for a long time, I'm here for a good time. Right. That's what he said all his life. Right. Teddy, that was really a shock because he didn't live that lifestyle. And he was on his way to one of my shows when I was working with Jasmine, and he died and had a heart attack on the way to the ring, on the way to the show. Oh, right. His girlfriend called me and goes, oh, my God, Teddy's had a heart attack going to the hospital. Then it was, oh, my God, Teddy's dead. Wow. And I'm in the middle of a show. I didn't tell anybody until the show was over. Right. That was hard. Do, where do you stand on um, uh, a promoter's responsibility? And I'm not even talking about you. I'm talking about, you know, WWE or WC. A promoter's responsibility in in the lifestyle choices of its athletes. What can they do? My, my philosophy is anybody over 21 is an adult. They're making their own choices, their own decisions. Now, granted, back then, you know, there was not this, the AIDS thing wasn't blown up yet, so that we weren't worried about, the, we weren't thinking about the blood in the ring. Uh, there, you know, a lot of things have changed since that time. I probably would look at it a lot differently now, especially with the unprotected chair shots. There was no, like, football thing with the CTE that they would do about that. No, who knew about that? No, right. Get a concussion? All right, well, next week, we'll see you there. That, you didn't know any better. It but, wasn't, but if you're a coach, if you're an NFL coach, right, you, the, the, there's curfews. You know, the, the, the guys have a game tomorrow, right? So, all right, guys, curfew. You know, the NFL players have to be in by 11, and, you know, they're piss-tested constantly and all that, you know, for for the product and, and for them. Sh- should you have been making sure I, these guys went to bed as opposed to no, what I did the travel lodge action? What I did do was say, if you're fucked up and too fucked up to go in the ring, you can't work for me. You can get as fucked up as you want after your match is over. You're a grown man. Make your own decisions. But don't affect my business with your party. Don't get out there and not be able to walk to the ring. You do that, I can't, I can't use you. You're no good to me. But it's kind of like rock and roll, a little more so rock and roll than athletics because of the, you know, the after show partying and stuff. Maybe, maybe that should have been curtailed. Maybe there should have been a hard enforcement. Your father, we were a family, but I wasn't the dad. A lot of the people, guys, you know, acted like I was the dad to them because they all came to me with all their problems and their troubles and whatever the case may be. But I was not responsible for them. On a day-to-day basis, I didn't feel like that was my my responsibility. In addition to which, I had so much other responsibility at the time, whether it's making sure the show's going to come off, talking to the building, talking to the lighting crew, arranging for a sound. I, I had so much going on. The last thing I could do was have the time to think about what they're doing outside of the ring. And I partook in a lot of this stuff myself. And that's not no secret. Right. But by the same token... I never showed up to a show drunk. I never showed up to a show whacked. Right. I never showed up to a show on drugs. And I expected them to do the same. They'd give me the same courtesy back. And afterwards, hey, let's go have a good time. You guys killed yourselves. Who should eat some kind of release? Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's go to Twitter. We got some questions coming in for you here on Twitter. Jordan asks, uh, he says, RIP Eddie Gilbert. Had Eddie Gilbert stayed booking Eastern Championship Wrestling, what does Mr. Gordon think would have been the legacy of ceiling for and style of ECW. We could have only gone so far with Eddie. We never would have gotten to where we got to with Eddie. However, perhaps the model would have grown the way I had wanted it to grow, one step at a time. You talked about seeing an MSG, and every time you saw an MSG, us spending $3,000 a week to have that show air MSG, and we weren't running New York yet. Right. 
That was a bad business model. We did that because I was told and promised the advertising was locked in. Right. Same with yeah. Sunshine Network in Florida. Three thousand dollars a week. Just six thousand dollars a week for just those two uh, markets. You know, we weren't making that kind of money that we could afford to do that, though pay everybody on top of that. I mean, it was impossible. Did Paulie honestly believe that the advertising was coming, or else what did he think the end game was going to be? Because you can't spend more than you make. So he didn't care. He just wanted to become big. You ever go look at that? This stuff's unbelievable. So if it goes down, hey, somebody else will take it away, and somebody else did. Benny Douglas asks Todd if you were starting a wrestling company tomorrow, who would be your first hire? Can I take anybody who still is working for somewhere else? Yeah, sure. AJ Styles. Okay. Manny wants to hear your thoughts on Mike Awesome going to WCW as ECW champion. Your thoughts on how Heyman handled that situation. Um, I didn't realize, by the way, we were taking fan questions. So let me just back up for a second. The Mike Awesome situation was really strange. I don't know what that was all about. I understand that it was mostly about money, that he wasn't getting paid what he was being promised, as most of the guys weren't. And he was not going to accept that. So, you know, Heyman didn't have much of a choice other than to, without losing his company, he had to do something to keep him going on WCW television and trashing our belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, how he handled it? He handled it, I guess, as best as he possibly could. He got Vince to give him Taz back. Mm-hmm. So that gave them, you know, another big rub with a WWF rub. And, you know, again, I was going then, that whole intermingling thing, it was just so distasteful to me. And I just knew it was going to end in, in failure. Right. It really did. TNT DND says, indulge us with your best or worst story about interacting with fans from Philadelphia. Fiercely loyal or infamously fierce, Todd is God. Fiercely loyal. I mean, fiercely loyal. My God. You're talking about people that show up at 1, 2 in the afternoon. Snow, rain, hell, whatever they be. Standing outside of that building, freezing their cojones off for 8 o'clock show that night. Yeah. If that's not fiercely loyal to the product, oh my God, I'd like to give one of those guys a hug and say, like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Paul Rogers says, Todd and Sean, what was the tease of To Be Continued at the end of your edition of You Shoot all about? I'm trying to remember. We did end it with a To Be Continued because I think... You wanted me to talk about the whole split between Paul and I, and I said, that's set for another... We'll do that for our next DVD. Is that what it was? Which I just thought really we were going to have you back and do a guest booker, so you were going to... No, it really upset you, by the way. You said, wait a minute. What, what? I said, no, that's the next one. You went... No, there's no next one. No, wait, what? Did you did you do that to tease a second yes, pay, to tease a, to get a second payday? No, I wasn't. Gonna, that wasn't part of what we we're doing. We we're doing ninety two, ninety three. You bastard, and you know it. <laughs> this is not that wasn't happening in ninety two or ninety three. It happened in ninety five to ninety seven. You want to do ninety five to ninety seven? Yeah, pay me to do ninety five to ninety seven. You cheap son of a bitch, and I'll give you that then. Okay. All right, very good. Uh, let's see. Is this what we already did where the fans said the question? Yeah, but, you know, we like to keep people... Uh... Am I doing the dick bag next? No, week? you're not doing any of that stuff. All right, Salvatore Martone, using your Yiddish cup, tell us something that us Goyim should do when it comes to negotiating. Very good question. You guys are awesome at negotiating, like my people are good with bricklaying and hitting our wives. Thank you, Mr. Martone. Um, any negotiation tricks? Yeah, I, I'm not going to uh, answer a stupid question like that. It's, it's an insulting question. Well, so, all right, so these are wrestling fans. Question. What, what, you it's thought you were on Meet question. the Press? You thought you were on Meet the Press? It's a fucking anti Semitic insulting question. So, all right, so find the nuggets. Is insulting to his people? It's calling the bricklayer. stupid. So find the nuggets. I, I don't need to honor those kinds of questions okay. anymore. All right, so here, this is entertainment. So let's find the nugget of the question. You're a businessman, a successful yes. businessman. You run a company with a legacy of how many years, Carver Reed? 70 years? Jesus Christ. 
This year's our 160th year. Third oldest business in the history in the city of Philadelphia. My God. So do you have any business advice for anybody out there? Can we ask I that? Mean, my, 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 my business advice has been what I teach my kids who are now in my business with me. Because they're the fourth generation now. And they're there full time with me. There's always two things. Be honest. Don't screw anybody. Be honest with people. And whether they like you to say or don't like you to say, they can't criticize you because you're honest with them. Okay. They may not like the answer, but at least you're told the truth. Very good. Uh, Hunt Golf Analytics would like to know if you um, if you ever considered running a larger building in Philly. With the taxes and state athletic commission, did the Elks Lodge shows run at a profit? In Philly, we never considered running a larger building for that exact reason. Because Joel Goodhart went out of business because he tried to run the Philadelphia Civic Center four times a year. <laughs> where they charged him $3,000 for a man to come in and Plug in the electricity. He was union. A union gig, yeah. Yeah. Stay away from union building at all costs because it's ridiculous. But literally, he paid $3,000, the Electrical Workers Union, for a guy to come in and plug in a sound lighting. Yeah. Uh, As far as Elks Lodge, uh, it wasn't as crazy as you think uh, cost wise. Commissioners there were pretty cool uh, until they started like deciding they wanted to like start checking heart rates and things and like that. Until they started getting a little antsy about certain things, you know, people tried to. Anybody who was against us wanted to hurt us, so they were always trying to like call or do whatever they had to do to put our shows down, make them not happen. But yeah, the Elks Lodge was okay. It wasn't like a bit uh, some kind of crazy pricing in there at all. Okay. Okay. Um, wh- where do you stand on Michael Jackson? Um, I don't know where he's buried, so I've never stood on him. Right. Because something surfaced today, a tape of Marlon Brando giving a, uh, an interview to the uh, like L.A. police or something, saying that he thought Michael, because he was a close personal friend, might have been responsible for all those kids. Uh, really? Is that what you want yeah, to sure. what, yeah. That's what you're talking about? Would you have booked him? Uh, Michael, Michael Jackson. Well, he would have been a good fit for ECW. If I could. We did book Stormy Brown. Who's that? The hooker with Jackson. No, you're, you're mixing up Stormy Daniels and Divine Brown. That you've taken uh, two hookers and merged them. Yes. You, right. Stormy was. I, I think that's what most people do. Just, they get two hookers together, they merge them. But enough about the travel lodge. Um, uh, the. Uh, Stormy was Trump's and Divine Brown, who you got. That was that's what, that's Hugh what I Grant. Meant, Divine Brown. Right. Uh, being Divine Brown. That was a coup. Um, uh, one, no, one, Jenna James was a coup. Oh, what did you do with her? I'm, I'm thinking of. Uh, a paper, cut one promo that we use in every TV show thereafter. <laughs> she said, we don't, We're HGW, we don't spit, we swallow. And that was just the greatest line ever. What did you pay for that? What did you pay for that? Worth every Nothing. penny, but what did you pay? Nothing. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. Steve DeAngelis, I believe, a New York ring announcer, brought her in. And, yeah, it was just uh, one of those things. What did you What did you have to pay Divine Brown? 200 plus airfare, maybe? Really? Yeah. Wow. Hey, you know... You got a TV show. She's going to be on TV. She might have paid us to watch her. Yeah, I did it all wrong. Um, Lenny Cofton, other than the satellite appearance in Hardcore Justice in 2010, did TNA, WWE, and or WCW ever reach out to you to work behind the scenes in any capacity? Uh, TNA, TNA, WWE, and who else? Uh, anybody. WCW, I think he said. Yeah. WCW at one point reached out to me, yes. Uh, they were just one. They were just testing the waters. They wanted to see. You know, they're having all kinds of issues with their creative people there. At one point, those who reached out to me, TNA never, WWE never. Okay. And Jason Worthing says, "What are your thoughts on Bruce Pritchard and Eric Bischoff being hired by WWE in 2019? And would you do the same if the opportunity presented itself?" I would not do the same. I have no interest in doing that. I mean. If I really wanted to do that, I would have pursued it on my own instead of waiting for them to reach out to me. Mm-hmm. It's just not something I have any desire to do. As far as Bruce and who else? Eric? Uh, Bischoff and uh, Pritchard. Yeah, I mean, if, they're, if, they're, 
that's what they, that's what they want. They can make a good living out of it. God bless him. I like Bruce Prichard. Mm-hmm. Hey, Bruce is a good guy. Eric, I really don't know that well. And the little interaction I had with him, he was trying to hammer Cornette. He called me up and was like, hey, how about we do something? I'll go, oh, my, any talent you want, just run against Cornette across the street to any show. And I said, yeah, okay, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this with you. You're kind of weird. Not for me. Do you watch wrestling now? Not much. I don't think I've ever seen TNA. We're in about 15 minutes, like a couple of years ago, back when Raven and Luke Sam and Taboo were there or something like that. Haven't seen any of that, really. Uh, WWE, at this point, I'm pretty, like most fans, I just wait till the next day, read what happened on the TV show, you know, and then see the clip they'll show on the, on the network or yeah. on wrestling site. Do you miss it? Because you were a wrestling fan. and I was, but I don't enjoy it anywhere the way I did. You know when I enjoyed it? You talked about you saw ECW on TV, right? Yeah. And you watched that first second. That happened to me when we first got NWA before we became WCW Wrestling. And I was watching Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and the four horsemen and they're tying Dusty up. Yeah. Breaking his thumb with a baseball yeah. bat. And I was like, whoa, what is this? This shit is awesome. And I was addicted like that. But nobody's offering that product anymore. You grew up now on the McMahon product, to... right? You're the McMahon What's Senior. That? You grew up on the McMahon Senior product, right? Yes. Yes. I grew up with Chief J. Strongbow and right. Bruno San Martino. That was, my, that was me, yeah. Right. When you... Jimmy Valiant was still a good guy before he became one of the Valiant brothers. Right. Now, I, I, I just wish that I had that, that childhood enthusiasm for it now. You know, it's just... Yeah. It's, it's gone forever, isn't it? Unfortunately, you know, but it's it's hard. I mean, I still appreciate a great storyline. I still appreciate a great angle. A great angle to me is like the ultimate high. When we would write an angle together, whether it's me, myself, or me and Paul together, and watch it happen and unfold, there was no greater high than being up on that top stage, just watching and waiting for it. No one's coming. And here they go, whoosh. That, you know, that whole feeling, like, oh, my God. And that was it. I had no desire to be in that ring or be part of that angle. Just watching it unfold the way I wrote it or he wrote it or we wrote it. There was no better high than that. Mm. Yeah. Was he open to uh, ideas? Paulie, I mean. Was he open to uh, ideas from any source, from any of the talent? Obviously from you. Not you're... until later on when he got so overwhelmed. He said, yeah, just go ahead, Raven, you. Put together your shit with Sandman, you know, or Dudley. You could He had everybody just doing their own shit by the end. Uh, the beginning, it was much more of us saying, like, here's what we're going to have happen. We talk every day, driving to work, going home from work, I was on the phone like for hours, mm-hmm. going, and we started talking about an angle. And then we'd expand on it. We happened? Oh, how did bring Mikey in? Oh my God, yeah. And then, we, and then we just keep going back and forth until it popped us. Once it popped us, we knew it was going to pop the audience. Right. People think about the violence, they don't remember the humor. We had so much humor in those shows, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That That's what that's what kept it edgy, the fact that you were laughing at things that... And then a minute later, you could be completely horrified by somebody getting folded up on a, on a railing outside. Look at Ted Petty, Rock or Rock. Every promo would come out there for the first two years with Johnny Grudge and say... Oh, and we all like the hoodie, Mr. Commissioner. They go, I'm gonna kill somebody. They switch it right, bam, mid promo. I say, Ted Petty, that guy never got a chance to do what he could have done. He could have been a superstar. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. So, um, will you be celebrating the anniversary with anyone uh, this year? You're gonna have any of the crew over the house? <laughs> Watch there's a specific day that the anniversary occurs. Watch, I well, I, I have to, whatever the date Shane threw the belt down, right? That's, I think it just passed, didn't it? That was a summer thing, wasn't it? The, I guess the date of Shane Douglas throwing down the belt is we've ever seen ever on the internet right now. Yeah, I think it just all, passed. all kinds of news networks and stuff saying, hey, you want to talk about Shane Douglas throwing down the belt? I, said, I think we already have about 40 or 50 times. Just check one of my old interviews, you know. So what's next for you, Todd? Come on, there's got there's got to be. I, I I refuse to believe that it's gonna be you know trips to C W Reed and then home. There's got to be something in you, right? 
You're gonna, well, you're gonna, what are you gonna drop? You're gonna drop a book. You're gonna drop a. Uh, you working on something I, secretly I with your I kids? No, I, honest to God, I know it sounds hard to believe, but I've got no next. I've got nothing in my head, at least right now, that I would think about. The only time I came up with the next was about I don't know, ten years ago, whatever it was, when I came up with the idea of the extreme fighting XFC. There's going to be an extreme fighting club where we're going to do uh, camps, wrestling camps. And people would come in and they could, you know, train for a couple of days. And on the last day, they'd have a match against like the Road Warrior, Hawk, or this one. We had like 10 superstars signed up for this. I mean, big name guys. And uh, <clears throat> they would come in for a week. You know, they, we, last night, they could eat with all the wrestlers. They'd have a match that they could take home and take. Other people tried that since then. This is an idea I had at least 10, maybe more than 10 years ago, of making the fan interactive with the wrestling camp. So it's like they, rock camp, they, like they do those rock camps, basically, where you learn yeah, to play or, the instrument. Like all these old-timers games. Right. You know, we get to go down there for a week in Clearwater, Florida, and play against the old guys. But here you'd be wrestling against somebody, and you get to do your promo, you get to come through the curtain, you have a match, you get to walk home with a DVD. In that case, those days of VHS. That was the next thing I was going to do. That didn't happen. Would the workers put the uh, campers over? <laughs> yes, they would. You really think well, I, you would have got Animal yeah. to lay down for? It wasn't Animal. I had Hawk signed up. I had a, before he died. I, I mean, we well, I would deep. hope. Yeah, we we had a. Yeah. We had a <laughs> so I, I love your ass. Yeah, he would. Yeah, we, we, clearly, he would have jobbed we, after that. But we had we had a lot of like seven big names. It was Stuka. And the guys who I had a relationship with. I had a call off was going to come in back then. And all these guys were passed down. But yeah, that was my, that was they were all signed up for that thing. Right. Very good. Thank you for uh, taking some time with me, Todd. It takes time to be with you. That was Todd Gordon. I love Todd. I gotta put him over. Everyone puts over Todd. Everyone puts over Todd, but he doesn't get the due he deserves. I was hoping that would change after uh, our edition of Timeline History of uh, ECW for that year, but it didn't. I asked him if he even knew this was uh, the 25th anniversary of Extreme Championship Wrestling. He was like, yeah, when I saw it on the internet, I did. Unbelievable. But ECW was so significant. I, I I said it in the in the interview with him, but I it, it singularly brought me back to wrestling as a fan. Just because just because of the silliness. I mean, I tried, I tried through the, you know, the Duke the Dumpster Drossy. I tried through the goon. I I think I tried just to hold on to that thing that. Uh, that you, you watch it as a, as a kid, so, you know, it never really dies. It's always there. I guess it, it's akin to, I really never got into comic books that much, but, you know, people that were really into DC or Marvel, or, you know, it, it never died. And I guess it's back for them now in a big way because of all the films. But it was always there. But there were times they just pulled away from it. And then, then ECW comes along and, you know... It, even if even if just for those holy shit moments i mean i get what cornette says but what what was my option what was my option back then the stupidity that was that was going on on in the the, the big 2 so ecw comes along and it's it's breathtaking it's horrifying but it was cool it made it cool again wrestling could kind of be a little cool it'd be okay if your chick was over and ECW was on the TV, right? Sitting around with some of your boys, having a couple of beers, drinking a couple of Zimas, watching the wrestling. But you know, if it's ECW, it's kind of cool, right? Anyway, I told you guys I would do some Twitter here. Questions from Daniel at Dublin Metal. If you could redo any shoot you did, which would it be? Yeah, there'd be a few. 
the first guest booker actually, which is the first shoot we we ever did. We we did the audio stuff, and then we went to video. We with the guest booker concept, we had Kevin Sullivan come in, and that was the start of a great working relationship with Kevin. He'd been on several of our shows subsequent to that. Worked well with Kevin, but we the the concept of guest booker hadn't been refined enough. It was too it was too open ended. Kevin, as a booker in our fantasy booking scenario, could do anything. There were no real-world limitations on what he could do. We learned to build that in a little more to episodes after that. But, I mean, if you could just build a stacked roster of every fucking god in every territory, which is kind of what McMahon did, but, you know, there'd be a limit in reality. So, yeah, that that would be would be one that I would do over with some kind of parameters, make Kevin rebook 1984. The premise was 1984 of Hogan didn't come and he was booking for WWE at WWF. That's something that annoys me when I say WWE in 1984, I know it was fucking called WWF, but when you, they had to assume the entire history. When, when you buy a company or, or you lose a lawsuit and you got to change the name, you've got to forever refer to it as, as the new name. So guess what? You talk about it today, it's called WWE in 1984. So, yeah, I would do that one again with, with different parameters. Uh, there are some I wouldn't do. You know, the You Shoot China is always fodder for me, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have done the Matt Seidel as a pay-per-view in, in hindsight. Um. We were kind of told there was a lot more that was going to go, was going to be unearthed, and and it just didn't. And you know, when you're there under the lights, and it's that's a tough time to to discover that. So that that's one that I probably wouldn't have done. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's more that'll come to me. But uh, Ian Roberts, I'd love to hear about your experience in the TV and movie industry as an actor, writer, and director. What's your favorite part of the process? And also your love of stage production with your family. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was the first love. Well, filmmaking was my first love. That's what I went to school for. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to make movies. I wanted to do shit like what De Palma was doing. And then in college, I had to learn the important movies. had to sit and watch Unchained Andalou. And go, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Abstract. But uh, that, and then, you know, but I was always acting. I was acting since I was young. And that stuff was just happening faster than realistically any directing stuff. So I just kept acting. But I was always writing. And I started directing television commercials in the mid 90s. And uh, then once I started looping, once I started adding my voice to film, things changed completely. I mean, that was that was a way for me to do 10 movies and television shows a year, which as an actor on camera, that never would have been possible. But just the fact that I was doing voice work in the studio, sweetening the uh, the audio track for films and television shows, it allowed me to to, to work on so many movies, get the same contract as if I was in it. Residuals, the whole nine yards. So got to work with great directors that way. Robert Duvall, M. Night Shyamalan, Philip Seymour Hoffman, before he passed away, gave one of the most brilliant directions to an actor I'd ever heard. So succinct, but, but so perfect. I mean, when you work with an actor that is directing... That's like the Holy Grail because they understand you implicitly already. So they're going to direct you effectively and respectfully, you know, and they know what the hell they're doing. Robert, Robert Duvall, another example, two great stories about those two that I just mentioned. Philip Seymour Hoffman says to this actress, she gets up and she does a take. And it was a very simple line that she had to lay down. Um, and, it was a little big. It was a little, a little performance, a bit of a, a theatrical performance. Um, so, you know, I probably would have said, "Yeah, tone it down. Just bring it down a little more realistic." He says to her, 
after the take. He goes, great, that was good. He goes, now do another one. Just just take the icing off it. Fucking great. Robert Duvall is giving me direction uh, for one of the things I was adding to the track. I don't remember what I did. There's a movie called Assassination Tango that he directed. He was there with his Brazilian tango dancer girlfriend. Later became his wife. She was 40 years younger than him. Looked like a great couple. Looked like a hostage situation. But he turns to me and he goes, he's telling me how to do it. He goes, but you know, and he, he reaches down, and you can't see me, but I'm actually doing this. He, he grabs out his crotch. He pulls out his, out his dick. And I look down at it, and I acknowledge it, and I point it to it, and I go, oh, okay, I got it. And I'm thinking, like, that's some, that's some, like, from the soul, primal, from the glands. And I'm thinking, that, like, that's, that's what it is. So I, I acknowledge it, and I go, yeah, okay, yeah, like that. And he just kind of turns away from me, and I realize, oh, my God, he was just scratching his balls. It was not part of any direction. I pointed to it. I said, yeah, like that. He thought I was, like, fucking with him, probably. I was mortified for the rest of the day. It was a great day. And then I took the, I actually ended up in the elevator with him at uh, the, the old Sound One on Broadway in the Brill Building. They went turned it into condos but so I'm taking the elevator ride down in the very building that you know Sinatra and all the greats voices echoed off the walls for years I'm here I'm stuck in the elevator with Robert Duvall after I pointed to his dick and but you know what he he rolled with it he was fine with it he never mentioned it afterwards I was just freaked out but he probably dealt with a lot worse than that but uh, those those are two uh those are two examples that come to mind. Uh, Mike Carter, weirdest call from a wrestler late at night. RVD, after we shot one of the shows, either the timeline or the U-shoot, I think it was the U-shoot, I discovered that he was a, a mafia aficionado. So we were uh, we were talking about that. And he was telling me about over on St. Mark's Place in Manhattan, they have the mafia museum. And he'd never been and he was, like, uh, he was like, we should go over, man, you know, anytime, maybe later tonight. I don't know. I was like, dude, it's you know, like in midnight. I have a family. I'm going home. And I go back, and he's he's blowing up my phone after. He's like, we're going to do this, man. Let's go. St. Mark's Place. He was totally wrecked. He apologized for it. But uh, I guess that's a weird call. Uh, the the Marty Janetti exchange where he just I, I went berserk on him because he was accusing me of cutting his edition of Breaking Kayfabe to make him look bad. I swear to Christ, it, it, things like this, the Buff Bagwell incident where we tried to put a show with Buff on tape. It lasted about fifteen minutes of drooling and slurring. I just wish I, I, I wish I was enough of a douchebag to release the raw footage of this. Just so everyone could see what I had to fucking deal with on multiple occasions. You think I wanted to sit there and do that shit? You think I want to sit there and talk about WWE 2006 for, for Christ's sake for two hours with my neck turned in the same direction? Try that some night, if if you're a if you're a, a sadist. Uh Benny Douglas, Sean, what's one idea you would personally love to have done for a KC release that might not have sold well at all? Well, uh, there was the uh, I talked about in. One of my books, one of Anthony's great pitches was for uh, a show called Ribs, where wrestlers are just sitting around eating ribs and talking about the greatest ribs in the business. No explanation necessary there. Um, the idea I had that I thought would have been great, and we actually put it out there, but we, we couldn't get coverage. We couldn't get the liability for uh, a show called House Show 
where a wrestler comes to your house for the day. And then we just like reality television. We just film like the iron Sheik working the grill in an apron, Val Venus sitting on grandma's lap, you know, just whatever goes on at the house all day. But we couldn't get covered if, you know, there was an electrical fire or something and Sheiky didn't make it out. So we abandoned ship on that idea. All right, listen, we're going to be back next week. Another guest, more talk, more fun. Talk about things you're not supposed to know. Maybe it's about wrestling. Maybe it's about something else. I can only promise you these are stories you're not supposed to know. Reach out to me at Sean on Twitter. Also hit the podcast up at P. Shootinterviews.com is where you can find kayfabe commentaries. Go grab my books at Amazon.com. I read the dirt. Shoot.